Welcome to the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by my co-host, Paul Herman, for episode 87 of our show. This is our spoiler review for Ant-Man and the Wasp. The operative word there being spoiler. If you have not seen the film, and we are, of course, aware that many of you haven't seen it because the World Cup has caused the movie to be released later than usual in terms of the normal Marvel movie release cycle in a lot of international markets. So if the movie's not out where you are or you just haven't seen it for whatever any other reason... Go ahead and stop this now and come back to it once you have seen Ant-Man and the Wasp. Don't worry. This this review's been recorded. It's not going any, it's not going anywhere. It'll still be up. You'll still be able to listen to it. But if you do proceed, then that means you're saying you either have seen the film or even if you haven't, you don't mind being spoiled and you're just taking responsibility for that, which is fine. But before we get into the review, I have to give a big thank you to Eric, Ryan, and Steve. They are the latest patrons over at our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. And our patrons over there have access to exclusive content that's not available anywhere else, depending on the tiers that you choose. We have everything from Patreon credit scenes, which is bonus material for each episode. Now, we're doing something a little bit differently with this week's episode. We're actually opening it up and putting it on the main podcast feed uh, because we're going to be talking about and remembering Steve Ditko. And we just thought that was something that everybody might want to hear. So that's going to be out there. Um, uh, but that'll be available for everybody, so that kind of gives you a chance to at least hear maybe a little bit about what the Patreon credit scenes are, are, are a little bit like and give you a sense of that. But we also do uh, multiple Q&A shows each week. There's a daily podcast, the Daily Bugle that I do. There's the Marvel Unlimited Book Club each month. All kinds of exclusive content that you can check out at patreon.com slash News. And the cool thing about it is whichever tier you choose, you get your own private RSS link that will include that. So you can use that. You can put that in a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts and subscribe to it so that that way you get all of the content, the main show, as well as all the Patreon stuff. It can all be in one feed, nicely consolidated for you. So you're not having to go to multiple spots to get your Marvel Studios news content. And if you want more Marvel Studios news content, you can find it on our website, marvelstudiosnews.com, Facebook and Instagram at Marvel Studios News, and on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. So let's go ahead and let's talk some Ant-Man spoilers. So, Paul, for the 20th time... Hmm. Get to do a well. I mean, some well, a few of them were retroactive, but for the yeah. most part, we were pretty up to date with these. Over so the twentieth time, we're getting to do a spoiler review on an MCU movie. <laughs> uh, but you know, the best thing about these spoiler reviews is until we do them, I don't know what Paul thinks about the Marvel movie <laughs> that we're going to discuss, and that's real. Paul and I have not talked about Ant-Man and the Wasp since he's seen it. I have no idea what he thinks about the movie, just as I've had no idea what he thought of any of the movies that we reviewed uh, for the first time, except for the ones that were, as I said, retroactive because we'd already been talking about those movies for a while. So I had a good idea what he thought, but pretty much ever since the first Thor film, like I've had no idea what Paul was going to say about (laughs) a given Marvel movie. I don't know what he thinks of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Most of you already know that I really liked the movie uh, because I already gave a positive non-spoiler review, but I don't have any spoiler or non-spoiler thoughts from Paul Herman. So, Paul, fire your opening shot. Well, thank you, Sean, for giving me the opening shot. I always appreciate that. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. This is a this is going to be an interesting review. I, for people who you know, who listen to this show, know that I really liked the first Ant-Man a lot. It was the movie that I went in expecting to not really like that much, and I ended up loving the movie way more. It's actually probably my top ten. MCU films. It's just a great, enjoyable little film. No pun intended. I love saying that for some reason. But anyway. Let's just get that out of the way. No pun intended for any, like, unless explicitly (laughs) stated, no pun intended for any references to size or anything as it relates to Ant-Man and the Wasp. Let's just get that out. That's a a great, uh, thank you. I appreciate that going forward. So I I, I was really looking forward to this movie and I I loved all the characters. I loved Michael Douglas as Hank Pym. I loved uh, Evangeline Lilly as uh, Hope Van Dyne. I love Paul Rudd as Scott Lang. I love Luis and all the other people. Like, I love everything about the movie pretty much. I even loved Darren Cross. So there were a lot of things 
that I just couldn't, you know, I was really jazzed about the movie. I just, it really worked for me on a very, on a comic book superhero level. And it also worked for me as an overall film, you know, laughing and entertainment value level. Like it, it really worked on all cylinders and, and it hit all the cylinders for me. Am in the Wasp, I was looking forward to seeing it. I mean, it wasn't as jazz, obviously, for seeing this in Infinity War. I mean, I don't think anyone was, but I went in, you know, part for, Looking forward to watching the film. I, I did not know any of the uh, plot, really, for the most part. I knew the ghost, uh, a new character was being the ghost uh, character from the comic books. That's about it. I knew um, Bill Foster was in the film, you know, and that's pretty much it. And Goggins was in it because Goggins is awesome. Mm-hmm. But um, so I saw it with my friend Jim, uh, Pastor O Disaster on Twitter. You should follow him. He's a great guy. Uh, we went and saw the film together. Like we do, we do a lot of these superhero films. Uh, and you know, I, I watched the film and I have to say something just felt kind of off to me in this movie and I can't place it. I've only seen it once and I'll be honest. I don't know if I want to see it again soon. I mean, I might watch it eventually when I buy it on 4k or whatever and, and watch it. But for some reason, as I watch this movie, I just, it, some of the, like the, I don't want to say the magic, but some of the the freshness that the first movie had just didn't seem as fresh this time around. Scott Lang's character just did not. I don't know. This is how I describe it. And this is and again, I'm not I don't want to. And this is just my opinion. I'm not saying like this is a fact or, you know, you're you're uh, beneath me for thinking this or anything. But I just for some reason, the main characters of the movie, Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly and Hank or Hank Pym, Michael Douglas, they I just didn't connect to him this movie at all. Like, I just, I felt they felt flat to me. And I felt like everyone outside of them were more interesting than they were. And, I, you know, there was moments that I laughed, there, you know, and everything. But everything just seemed just kind of blah. And I don't know what it was. Like, Evangeline Lily's character just did not, just seem different to me. I loved her in the first one. This one just seemed... I don't know. Like it's just something about the movie that just did not connect to me. And as I'm watching the film, it just, for some reason, I just kind of kept thinking like, yeah, this is a, uh, this is not, this is not really in, in, like engaging me as much as I want it to. And the last time that probably, I, to be honest, it's been a while since that's happened in a Marvel film. If all, if at all, I, I was engaged with Dr. Strange, but it just, this one, because I've seen maybe it's, it's, it was a sequel, for some reason, just I just could not. For I don't know, I can't could not connect with it. I wasn't in a bad mood. I was in a fine mood. I ate right before I went in, so I wasn't <laughs> hungry. So I'm trying to figure out like what is the scientific reason for me not liking this movie. It just there's for some reason I can't. Ex- I, I'm tr- doing the best I can, and we'll break down things that I did like, mm-hmm. things that more you know as we go on here. But overall, I, it was just okay. Yeah, I mean, I really liked the movie. I had a lot of fun with it. I actually loved the movie. I mean, I I had a blast watching this film. But me having a blast with it, I also kind of understood at the same time. Like, I'm not, I'm not putting this movie in my Marvel top ten. Like, it's not, you know, it's so it's not, therefore not in the top half of my MCU movies. But I mean, off the top of my head, if I were to rattle off a top ten, like, I mean, there are. I don't know where this would rank because I I don't rank Marvel movies, especially while they're still in theaters. Like, I don't. I try not to do that. I can kind of decide, you know, the range for the movie. It's probably going to be somewhere between like eleven and fifteen, maybe. You know, I think that's probably where it's going to land for me. Um, oh. But it, but it's nowhere. Cl- you know, it's not. It's not approaching the top ten, but that's because my top ten is stacked. All right, so you yeah. can't, you know, like you can't. It, it's not an insult when a new Marvel movie comes out for me to be like, I don't think that's going to make my top ten. Um, it's obviously, you know, extra praise when I do feel that way. When something like you know we had this year with Black Panther and uh, Infinity War just instantly being like, okay, these are going to be in my Marvel masterpiece group right away. I know that you know I understand this, and that's that, but. I don't feel that way about Ant-Man and the Wasp, but it's not really because it's not so much because the there's anything particularly wrong with the film. I just think there are maybe it's just what's right about the film, you know, the highs are not as high as those of Black Panther and Infinity War. And I understand that it's also not aiming to be quite that high. This is trying to be a fun 
palate cleanser, kind of the antidote to, um, you know, the intensity of, because uh, Black Panther is a pretty intense film, but then especially with Infinity War, I mean, this is a movie made for people who just saw the ending of Infinity War, clearly, you know, with just how happy and light and funny this movie tends to be for the majority of its, uh, of its runtime. But it hit the things that I that I wanted from it. I got more of the things I liked from the first film, but I got new twists on it, more with uh, doing new additions to the action set pieces and things like that. And Paul Rudd was hilarious again. Evangeline Lilly was awesome. Michael Douglas was great. Uh, Michael Pena, again, is a show stealer as Luis. And I love the shit out of Randall Park in this movie as Agent Jimmy Woo. <laughs> like, I, he's amazing. And I actually fault the, uh, I still think it's, one of the biggest marketing gaffes in Marvel Studios history that Randall Park is not all over the marketing for this movie, um, or at least been in a big chunk of it. Like his speech to Cassie when he breaks down the Sokovia Accords, I don't know how that wasn't in the first trailer. Like I don't get it. Like it's selling like because this movie is clearly every bit as much as as it is a sequel to Ant Man. It is a sequel to Civil War, and I think selling this movie and and really incorporating its larger placement within the MCU would have benefited. It didn't have a bad opening weekend. It made 76 or almost $76 million, which was a big jump, you know, a nice size jump over the $57.2 million that the first one made. So there was some nice growth there, but like, I, I just love Randall Park that much. But anyway, this isn't a marketing <laughs> podcast. This is a spoiler show. Um, but I liked it. I, I think the, what, what works for me about this movie so much is it's, it's a very different approach in that it's just yeah. kind of the, it, it is what Peyton Reed's kind of started describing when he was doing interviews and things. He described it as an Elmore Leonard kind of piece. Uh, and the producer, Stephen Broussard, compared it to movies like Go. And it's just those one bad day kind of movies where you just have this one thing you need to do. And all these all these obstacles just keep popping up that get in the way of what you're trying to do. And I like those styles of movies. You know, I like the get, you know, get shorty, be cool kind of thing. And when it's Elmore Leonard, that's... Who made you know? That's where Justified came from, which of course was which you know Walton Goggins starred in as Boyd Crowder in one of the best performances in television history, and he got to be a little bit of Boyd Crowder as uh, as Sonny Birch in this movie. But there was a lot of stuff I liked about it that we'll get into more specifically as we break it down. At the same time, though, like I can understand why somebody would watch this movie and maybe just be like, okay, yeah, that was fine, because it doesn't have it doesn't have the ambition that other Marvel Studios movies have had. And it doesn't have that signature style that some of the other Marvel movies have had of late. You know, it doesn't have, you know, even being like a wacky, fun adventure, it's not as wacky and fun as Thor Ragnarok. So I think that's just where this movie runs up against it. But it does do something that we'll get into more specifically later that I think actually is different and subverts a lot of the MCU's own tropes that I think was actually very inventive and fun and something that, that actually did elevate the movie for me. But as far as how this compares to even like the first Ant-Man film, I have no idea. I, I kind of, there are parts I like about the first one better. There are parts I like about this mm. one better. And it's just kind of hard for me to decide which, you know, which one I uh, would lean with. I still haven't made up my mind over which of those two films I, I ultimately like better. But at this point, neither one's in my top 10 just because of how, mm. how stacked the deck is. What I did like about this movie, I love the wasp costume. Yeah, I love I, I, all the action scenes were great. Like that, that stuff was an improvement from the first film. But you know, I, and I, or I like all that stuff, and I loved seeing. I love the fact that the wasp got a lot of screen time. Uh, I, I wish that there was. You know, one of the things I loved about this movie so much also was the ghost. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, Oh my gosh, what's her name? The, the is it Ava? Is that her name? The yeah, real the Ava. Name? Yeah, Ava. Uh, Ava Star, Ava Star, daughter of Elias Star, who is Egghead in Marvel Comics. <laughs> oh boy! So Egghead uh, made it into the MCU, and he even looks like Egghead. Like yeah, when you actually that, see when you see the movie like a second time, like seeing the movie for a second he's time. He's bald. Like, at, yeah, I remember he was bald. He, I, even his yeah. bald head is a little pointy, like Egghead's. Is it? It is. I, it was funny because when I, I when I was you'll see watching, in 4K. You'll see the point on oh, that oh, dome. Oh, okay. I'll see <laughs> in 4K. <laughs> that's 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 good. That's good. No, I, it was funny because I when I was watching the movie. I thought to myself, is this the wh – what guy is this? Because they've gone out of their way to show who he is. Mm -hmm. So I thought that. So I was I thought I was funny thinking that. I'm like, is this the real ghost character or is this a different – I thought it was maybe the original ghost. But I thought it was strange they had to show us who this guy was. 
So I thought it might be coming back to around maybe at some point, like maybe he was the original ghost or something like that. So it makes a lot mm. more sense now that now this is going to be really weird. I did also notice that he was bald. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. He's a bald character. Hmm. I honestly thought that that's so weird. Oh my gosh. Uh, but no, the Ava character was great. And this is where I'm going to yep. go back to like things that I really liked about the movie. Cause I want to talk about what I liked about it first, obviously. So for me, Sean, I loved Ava. I thought she's she amazing. Was, she was a great character. She was one of the, honestly, one of the more interesting villains that we've gotten in a while that I was like, okay, yeah. And we barely got any screen time with her. Because and she's I, not, well, I mean, no, you're right in that we should have got more with the character. But what I, what I loved about her is she's not a villain. I'm sorry. Like we can have the debates about, sure. uh, yeah, yeah. about other characters of like, Oh, are they a villain or an antagonist? Antagon- and, but yeah, like, but. she's definitely not a villain. All she wants to do is save her life. I mean, no, yeah. I, and I know she goes a little nuts and even wants to like kidnap Scott Lang's daughter at one point, but like, she's just desperately trying to save her life and stop this immense pain that she's been in every second of her life since she was a small child. So you can completely, you know, you can really sympathize with that or sympathize with that character and feel like, oh, my God, like this is a what a horrible existence this person has. Um, and mm-hmm. so and yet and uh, Hannah John Kamen just plays it perfectly. I but I agree with you. Like it's it's a fantastic character. Just give mm-hmm. us more of that character. Yeah, it was very interesting because not only did she give a great performance and, and like you really felt the, the agony and the struggle of her. But I felt the costume looked cool. The powers looked cool. I, I just, you, I felt they were kind of playing like with the house money with this one. Like, okay, they they did great casting, mm-hmm. great design work. What gives? And I felt like Darren Cross. I, again, I'll defend Darren Cross in the first Ant Man movie. I I really like that character. Yeah. And a lot of people will be like, no, I don't care. Yeah. Like, I, I think Darren Cross is great. And I've I've broken down on these podcasts. If you haven't heard it. Download the original. I think both. Yeah, we have I'll, both Ant Man reviews. I'll, I mean, I'll die on that ant hill with you, buddy. Pun intended. I, I, ooh, ooh, yes, I like it. I like it. So yeah, there was that character was great, and I really, really, I'm, I'm a little just dis- sad that like maybe like they didn't, they couldn't reshoot more with her, give her more of an arc. But I honestly think that you know Marvel is might be setting up some kind of thunderbolts like. Uh, some something like that. They've already they've established Ava as this kind of anti-hero. That's what I kind of look at her as. She's an anti-hero because you know she has no problem doing what she needs to do, but she's not an outright bad person. So that's probably a good thing. What you said, Sean. Well, like she's, not she's no different. I mean, she's no different than Black Widow. Frankly, I mean, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Black yeah, Wi- yeah. yeah, Black Widow used to kill for hire too. You know, yeah, like exactly. It, so hell, that's why I think you know somebody like Ghost. Hell, if you're going to have somebody cameo in the Black Widow movie, Hannah John Kamen, like actually makes a lot of sense because she worked for yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D. just like Black Widow did. They probably crossed paths at some point, you know, and, they, yeah. and that's something that you could retcon in and that we could find out about. Yeah. So I, you touched on something, I guess, well, I'm kind of going all over the place here. So I'm yeah, fair with Okay. So one of the things you kind of touched on, I think you, you actually nailed it right there, Sean, about maybe what I had a hard time connecting with was um, talking about how there's like the whole nothing goes right, bad day kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. I think that might be one of the things that kind of took me out of it was with the original Ant-Man. It took over a, you know, a decent amount of time of training and, and you know, and all that kind of stuff. And there was a lot of fun maybe doing, going along with those lines of, of, of all the special things that, that Scott had to do. So this one and needed a montage. Maybe it needed a montage, but, but, but I guess what I'm trying to say is it felt too condensed for me. And I think that's oh. what I'm trying to say is that Whereas this takes place within a couple of days, like Ant-Man took over, it felt like, you know, a, a while, like a week or it mm-hmm. just felt like more time kind of happened and, and things, you kind of see things developed. Whereas things happen really fast in Ant-Man and the Wasp where, you know, again, you want more time with Walter Goggins. You want more time with Ava and we just don't get it with Bill Foster and, and Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, to be honest, Bill, Bill Foster seemed like a waste. A complete waste to me. Like I don't like him every time he's like corralled by ants. Like there's yeah. especially the second time in the lab when he's like, uh, Hank, uh I'm like Lawrence Fishburne doesn't do that. Lawrence Fishburne never does that no matter what character he's playing. Like, what is that? And also, if you would think that if he was his partner for however long, he'd be comfortable with giant ants around, you know, I'm sure, I mean, they, they, you I know, know, they would have 
those ants could snap his legs off. Like, I'm not, I don't want to undersell, like, because, like, you know, those ants just went right through the zip ties and everything, like, or whatever was tying Hank and Scott and Hope to the, to their chairs. So, like, I'm not trying to discount the ant's ability to injure him. Like, I, I get it, and he's surrounded, so he's not going to be able to get out of it without being injured, and I don't want to be bitten on the leg by a giant ant either. So I, I get it, but I feel, so it's fine, but... I don't like how a guy gets beaten twice, like the, the same exact way. You know, like that's how they got away from him when Ava first tied him up, and then that's also how they stop him when he's in the lab later. I feel like you could have just had Hank like reason with him, you know, like, and you could have just had a reconciliation of their friendship because they ended up doing that anyway. So let's just skip the step where Lawrence Fishburne looks like a chump. Uh, like, <laughs> for the second time, and especially with his awkward, uh, Hank, uh, that's going to be like my new R from Open Dynasty. Uh, Hank. Uh, uh, Hank. Yeah, like th- nope. th- that just didn't work at all. But, you know, there's others. But I, I agree with you, though. It's like if you, you got Lawrence Fishburne to do this thing, I also felt that's one of my nitpicks with the movie is that I, I feel like now I, I understand this is the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, and people get to come back and expand on their roles and, and all of that. But. He's in this movie, so let's try to give Bill Foster some uh, some better stuff to do. Uh, but he did have scenes that I loved. Like I, he, I thought he was funny in their first meeting at the, you know, in the first meeting at the university where he's saying like the only, the harder thing, the only thing more tiring than growing to like giant size is putting up with Hank's bullshit. Like I thought that was a really funny line, and I loved the bit, and, and I, I really liked where, and this is where again I think this movie does interesting things with its antagonists is mm-hmm. after it sets up Bill as somebody who's working with Ava, the way he immediately draws that line when she brings up that idea of kidnapping Cassie, he's like, nope, if you do that, I'm out. And so I think I I like, that was one of the other, that just continued along with that interesting theme that the movie had in terms of, you know, who's a villain or who's an antagonist, but it just shows there's still principles within these people who are in conflict with our heroes. And so it does do interesting things, and Lawrence Fishburne gets to be a part of that, so I'm happy that that's in the movie. I just also wish there was just still a little bit more to his character. I know they wanted to keep this as a super tight, quick runtime, but I feel like even five more minutes for this movie would have done wonders. You know, a couple more minutes for Lawrence Fishburne, a couple more minutes, you know, one more scene of them together of, uh, of Bill and Ava, I think probably could have done a lot for this movie. What I was thinking was maybe having like them meeting, having that whole thing with Ava at the very beginning of the movie you know, besides the 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 whole Ant Man and Wasp thing with Michelle Pfeiffer, I almost think that would give me more like precedence uh, because or having maybe both of those things together, like have you know, because obviously that the the thing that happens with Hank and uh, Janet happened way before the Ava thing happens, so you could have both like kind of back to back because I kind of like I like the idea of setting up your villain and maybe having you know a, a scene with Lawrence Fishburne like talking to her at some point. So you kind of have like you're setting up both your heroes and your villains, your antagonists. Mm. But obviously they wanted to hide the fact that Bill was, was working with Ava for a little bit. Though I didn't think that – I felt that was kind of hidden for like no reason really. You know, I, I, I didn't really – I thought that was kind of – it was a little surprising. But it also was like, oh, okay. It's, it's not a reveal that means anything because exactly. we don't because yeah. we don't care about Bill Foster yet. You know, mm-hmm. and we don't care about the relationship with Hank because it's clearly deteriorated. So mm-hmm. – there's not really a betrayal there. There's not really, you know, it's so it, it felt I, mean, I guess maybe it's intended to be a surprise. But to me, it felt more matter of fact than anything else. And, and which is OK, because, again, it's it's still it's done very fairly quickly and it, it's fine. Like they don't they don't make that big of a deal out of it. So, you know, they, they sell it as a surprise, but they don't sell it as some huge thing. They don't sell it as, you know, Bucky killed Tony's parents or anything. So, you know, it's <laughs> it's fine. But. Uh, yeah, it's, I feel like there was more that they could have done with those, with, uh, the, I mean, overall though, I still give high marks to the antagonists in this film because they did something different, even with Walton Goggins, where he's just kind of a low level antagonist, but he's just, he's just in the way. He's not somebody with some huge diabolical scheme. Like I kept thinking like at some point, oh, are they going to reveal who his buyers are? Like, is it going to be part of this bigger thing? But no, we never find that out. And it's okay that we don't find that out because Walton Goggins, is, Sonny Birch is just there to be a pain in the ass to the point where 
when like hope sees him before the final chase scene, she's like, really this guy again? And it's just, <laughs> but that, but that's that style of movie. Like it's that, you know, a hole that just keeps, that just keeps popping up at the worst possible time. And I like that style of movie. And part of the reason why I guess I'm, you know, more in favor of this condensed time period for the storytelling than you are is it goes, I, I mentioned this when I first uh, heard that this was kind of going to be, I think during like the set reports and stuff, this came out. I don't know if I talked about this on like a Daily Bugle or something, but I like the one bad day kind of storyline. And I always wanted to see something like that. Or I know this one is more like two or three bad days in a superhero story, because that was one of my favorite episodes of Batman, the animated series was an episode called Appointment in Crime Alley, because there is a bigger villain in there, Roland Daggett trying to do some stupid corporate bad guy bullshit. And, it, but what I always loved about that episode is that's that's kind of there. There is the bigger plot of what Batman's trying to do, but most of the episode is just all the random things that Batman has to deal with. On you know just and I always loved that because I'm like this is what a typical day in the life is for a superhero. Or in that case, it was Batman. In this case, it's Ant Man and the Wasp. And that you know it's not always the biggest end of the world plot. Sometimes it's just you're trying to do this one thing and everybody just gets in your way and there's all these other things that pop up and all these other fires you have to put out. So I like that kind of story and it's an interesting thing to see as a one-off kind of film. And that's okay for me. Like, And I think you... And I, I want to give the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a viewer, like I like giving it that space to tell those kinds of stories because it's gonna they're, they're telling all kinds of stories. We have big huge epics and things like that. And I'm okay with using Ant-Man, which yes, I know small character, whatever. And like using that to tell a smaller, a smaller, more self-contained story. Uh, that's just, you know, that's fast paced and fun. And I really like it. Now, obviously some things were kind of casualties of the fast paced storytelling of this, as we mentioned, you know, maybe a little more, uh, with the antagonists, uh, maybe even a little more with the heroes, the stuff that was actually too fast for me was the Janet stuff. Like, Yes, exact same. You know, same, same, same. Janet comes back, and I'm like, "Why did we get Michelle Pfeiffer for this?" Um, you know, like, and I love Michelle Pfeiffer, and same. I went crazy when I saw that she was in this movie. Uh, you know, last year at Comic Con when they announced it, and I now here's why you have Michelle Pfeiffer. I, I can answer my own question: is because you don't have to give her a lot of material, and she brings a lot with her just as a performer. So, like, she had. You have this whole history of, you know, as an audience member, you know, especially if you're, you know, if, if you're around our age, where like you grew up with Michelle Pfeiffer as an actress and one of the biggest movie stars in the world. So she brings all of that with her to the screen when you see her as Janet Van Dyne. So all the history you don't have as a viewer with Janet, you do have with Michelle Pfeiffer. And so it kind of fills in the gaps. Uh, and that is a familiar trick that that movies do sometimes. And so I'm o I'm OK with it. But I also wish, I, I feel like there's a version of this movie where they find Janet earlier in the in the film. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I do feel like there there is one, and maybe there's not. I don't know, but I feel like there is a version of this. Maybe maybe they never shot it, but I feel like there's a version of the script where we find Janet a little bit earlier, because some of the stuff it's like I I I care about the reunion and it's nice, but I also just I want to see more of Janet. I do. I want to mm -hmm. see, I want to see more with Michelle Pfeiffer. Like I'm getting Michelle Pfeiffer in a Marvel movie and she really doesn't have that many lines. And most of yeah. her lines aren't that important. You know, like, <laughs> like well done jelly bean. Like what? Oh, okay, fine. Like cool. But like Michelle Pfeiffer can say like, I don't, does she get any like one interesting thing to say in here? I don't know. You know, like, it's other than she's Michelle Pfeiffer and like, there's just a presence that comes with it automatically, mm -hmm. but I don't feel like they gave her, they didn't give her enough outside of that. I, I feel like, I think the fact that they were trying, that the whole story resolved around them trying to get her back seemed kind of weird to me and, and not weird, but just seemed kind of like, like it just didn't really resonate with me. It, it didn't was seem the as next interesting thing to do after the first one though. I mean, it, it was the, it was the one thing that they should be wanting to do. Like once you but, establish that you can survive being in the quantum realm, like that was the next mission obviously was you got to go get Janet. Right. Now. Like I, I kind of feel like they could, you know, Michael Douglas could have been doing that while something else was going on in the meantime. I just, for some reason, it just felt like they're going from one end of the city to the other back and forth. And I think, again, that goes – obviously because Paul Rudd had to go back to you know, with his whole – which, again, some of my favorite parts was with the fact that he was in a house arrest. Mm -hmm. But with the fact that we have this kind of more condensed film that we, the, the scale isn't as big. 
and and that's not a problem. Like I felt the first film did a great job of expanding and making it seem like it's not just in like two places. Where I feel like Ant Man was we're out, we're out in the woods, and then it's like we're back to Scott's place, and then we're back out in the woods, and then we're back. Now we're in downtown San Francisco, which we you saw earlier before. It just it just felt like it was too condensed. I didn't seem it's gonna sound really bad big enough to me, and I know. I hate comparing it to like, you know, a, a, a more grander scale film or whatever. But again, I really felt the first Ant-Man movie gave me a, the scope was felt like a little bit more adventurous. And and again, maybe it just seemed, you know, we're going back on retreading on things that have already happened before, but it just it didn't seem as fresh to me. And I, and I honestly think that's because they just only went to a few places. It felt like, and this going from one end of town to another, and it just kind of, they're all so familiar. I'm like, oh yeah, we've been there. We've been there. We've been there. Okay. We're, we're back to the suitcase thing. And I did, yeah, this, it just didn't really engage me as, as, as I wanted, wanted it to. And it would sucks because again, I love that first one. And, and Paul Rudd, like, I love all the house dress stuff. I love all that stuff. I love when they have the ant drumming and, you know, watch, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know, hanging out. I love all that stuff. And I thought it was great. But a lot of the humor just felt a little too on the nose and not as as funny. Like, okay, for instance, there's this is really stupid. I don't know why, but like the very beginning of or in Ant Man, the first film, there's it just felt a little more spontaneous because there's a part where you know Scott's meeting uh, Hope and he, or he's already met Hope and he's talking to uh, Hank Pym and he goes, "This is my daughter, Hope. I think I believe you already met." And he goes, "Oh yeah, she's great." like like that was there's just stuff like that like little stuff in there it's obvious but it's just it was funny whereas um in this movie it just seemed too obvious to me and it was like okay here we go and i I, like some of the stuff with um with luis some not with luis himself but like with scott and, and and his partners and again going back and forth being like oh you know it just it just seemed like it just seemed a little too like on like it's not my thing i don't know i just could not you know, connect to it. But if, again, we going back to Luis, I love Luis. Like I, I felt that he should have been a superhero in this movie. And I really wanted him to, I wanted him to be giant man. Yeah. I feel like they saved that for yes. a third movie that might not even happen. I mean, and that's not like me saying like, Oh, Ant-Man is failing at the box office. It's not, but right now it's doing, it's doing very well, but it's not doing like, it's doing the kind of business where you can justify a sequel if you want to make one, but it's not necess- I don't know that it's necessarily going to do the numbers where it absolutely demands a third one, especially when you could potentially have a more competitive environment where like in terms of which characters get their own movies when you have some Fox Marvel characters coming over presumably in the next over the next couple of years. So, um yeah, like I I felt like that was something that got saved for another movie and probably shouldn't have been. Uh, I think, you know, Luis should have been Giant Man at some point in this movie. I think that would have been an absolute blast, uh, you know, especially because they give him the line about, oh, I want a suit. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I know. And it's a really funny bit. And so I wish they would have continued on with that. Like, I think Luis and the entourage, like, I'm wearing an ex-con security consultant hat that. right now. Yeah. So, like, it's I'm a big fan of them. And, and I thought they did a great job. I mean, David Desmaltian with the whole Baba Yaga thing about Ghost was hilarious. Um <laughs> Luis, even though I know they did it twice in the first Ant-Man film with oh. him doing his whole backstories, this one was hilarious. I absolutely okay. love this one with the truth serum. Like, it was... Uh, I died laughing during that. I mean, there, there's just so much good Luis stuff in yes. here. And, like, when he opens up, like, the Hot Wheels rally case and he picks oh. up his car, I love you, Dr. Pim. <laughs> it's just awesome. Like, I love... He's great. Uh, Michael Pena is fantastic in this. And even... uh even T.I., like when they're you know, like when they've knocked out the bad guys like Sonny Birch and his goons or whatever. And he's just like, yeah, we got the we took care of them for you. You're welcome <laughs> like to the cops. Like <laughs> there's a lot of funny stuff in here. And all the, I, all the Paul Red bits like work well. I mean, the bit in the school was absolutely hilarious, like where he got stuck like mid shrink or whatever. And he had to wear like the hoodie with the sleeves too long and running through. And I love how they did the Ant-Man score and they just turned it on super high pitched. Like, like the music on that just complemented it perfectly. And then just the whole, uh, you know, like how was your day champ? And like, Oh, you need a, ju- you know, juice box and some string cheese. See, and then and Scott I, I Lang, like, like Oh, I love it. it. What makes the joke work for me is Scott at the end going, it's, it's just Paul Rudd being like, do you really have that? Like that to me makes it yeah. totally work. And I was dying laughing. I mean, 
humor is what it is. Like you yeah. either you either it either makes you laugh or it doesn't. So yeah. you know, okay, I, I so, can't I can't debate you on what you did or didn't find well, funny. Right, right. So I will say that I did not like that whole school bit. I thought it was I thought it was gonna be funny. I was like, oh man, this is gonna be great. And then it just I for some reason it fell flat for me. It, it felt like it honestly felt like it slowed the movie down completely. And uh, and I kind of I maybe because at that point I, I was more invested in the story and then kind of, oh, my thing's broken and I'm going back and forth to size. And then, you know, I, for some reason, I, I could not. I just kind of slowed it down. I, I felt like it just was kind of you could have sped it up a little bit. But I will say Luis. Now, you talked about his whole, you know, storytelling feature that was my favorite part of the whole movie. And I think that was the favorite part of everybody. Certainly in the, when I saw it with the general audience at on opening night, like that was by far like that got the biggest reaction of anything in the right. entire film was that everybody was just dying laughing because there, there's double meaning for me in this one. People who follow me on Twitter for a while will know I'm a big Smiths and Morrissey fan. <laughs> and it, I, it was funny because when the phone, when Scott Lang's phone goes off and it's from Morrissey, or it's from Morrissey, it's by it's Morrissey's "Every Day Is Like Sunday," uh-huh. which is a great song, by the way. I go, huh? Okay, cool. They're 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 bringing in Morrissey. That's cool. And then when he talks about the, him and his grandma talking about Morrissey and how they connect, oh my god, I died because you know there's a huge you know a Spanish population that identify and love. Morrissey. Well, yeah, my wife and my wife is Mexican. Her family is Mexican, and they absolutely love Morrissey. So, yeah. like that, totally rang true when we yeah, were watching the movie. I'm like, oh yeah, I, that makes I sense. Remember, yeah, and I remember reading that, going like, that's crazy because he's obviously Morrissey's not Spanish whatsoever. So, but it was just really amazing. So they brought that whole like inside kind of uh, thing here. That that's kind of like an you know, I would say it's unknown, but it's for people who are unfamiliar with Morrissey and the Smiths, like or maybe a little bit familiar would not even know that there's a huge, you know, Spanish pop, you know, people who love Morrissey. Like they worship the ground. He walks on practically. And in his old retelling of that, I was rolling and that was my favorite part. And again, I, I just want Luis to have a bigger role in the next film. Like, again, we, we, we just recently read the Ant-Man comics mm-hmm. and, uh, our Patreon episode. And if you don't have that, go ahead and get on that. And patreon.com slash Marvel Studios yeah. news. There you go. Just got a plug. So, but honestly, we we just read Ant Man comics where they have a character where Scott Lang is literally training mm-hmm. the new the new Giant Man. And can you imagine, like in that specific comic, Sean of Legoland, and he's teaching Luis how to be Giant Man? Mm-hmm. Like how you can't? I mean, I'm I'm giving you free stuff here, Marvel. Come on, <laughs> like this this is so obvious to me. So. I, I have to have Luis get on there and and be Giant Man or some one of the Marvel characters. Maybe create a whole new superhero thing for him. You know, maybe make him the new Yellow Jacket. I don't know, but give him something because I really feel that he he Luis Pena is it Luis? No, I'm Michael Pena. Michael Pena. Me. Michael Pena is such a great actor. I've seen him act in so many different things. He's got great comedic timing, dramatic timing. He can do it. He can bring it. I know. And I think as a character, Luis, he could definitely bring all of that. Now he's been by far my favorite, favorite part of this, of this movie. And I really do hope that they include him in this. If there is a third one, who knows if there is, I I imagine there will be, but who knows? Well, you don't, that's the great thing about the MCU though, is you don't have to have, it doesn't have to be an Ant-Man and Wasp branded movie for Luis to be giant man. And just like it doesn't have to be an Ant-Man and Wasp branded movie for Ant-Man and the Wasp to pop back up again in the Marvel cinematic universe. Like we're going to have different Avengers teams and all this other stuff coming up. And, you know, and we've, as we've already seen with something like Thor Ragnarok, you have team ups with, you know, just in the same way we've got Thor and Hulk, you could have Ant-Man Wasp and Luis as a new giant man teaming up with, some other character in their movie. I mean, it could be, you have all these different kinds of combinations that you could break out, but I feel like this movie, I, I think it would have hit another level for audiences. If Luis actually did get a suit, even if it was just for a second, like I think people would have totally dug it and it would have been a huge thing for people to kind of geek out over, you know, like somebody asked me, uh, I think it was Brentac prime asked me over the, for the weekend Q and a, if I thought, uh, if, 
because he had thought that when at the end where it's like just the empty Ant-Man suit, if that had been like his first thought was that was Luis. And they want to know if I thought the same thing. And it, and the truth is, no, I didn't think that was Luis. But in, in thinking about it now, like it should have been Luis. You know, there should have been something with Luis as giant man in this movie that would have just added another another level to it. But I don't want to. You know, like I said, I love the movie, and so I know I'm, I've focused more on some of the negative stuff. But I feel like they did a good job expanding on a lot of the other, you know, the action set pieces that are possible through the whole shrink, you know, through the whole resizing thing. Like I thought, the bits with the different cars were were pretty good. I love the Hot Wheels rally case as a thing. Yeah, um, you know where you know all of those are actual operable vehicles that they can use. Um, that's a cool thing. And I, you know, like, you know, that first shot when Scott wakes up inside the car and all of a sudden they're being pecked at by pigeons. Like I just, all of that is the kind of weird, cool visuals that are only possible by Ant-Man. Also where seagulls become a threat. Like that's again, <laughs> only possible yeah. in the world of Ant-Man. And so I, I like that it, that it did a lot of those different things. And then of course, setting up the different comedic bits, the whole, you know, bringing back the truth serum thing again and again. Like there's a lot of good stuff going on in this movie, and so I was I'm I was highly entertained by it. I've seen it three times now. I was highly entertained all three times. I'm laughing through it, having a good time, and I do think it's a very well paced movie. Again, I can nitpick a couple things and say I wish there was a little more of this, and I wish there was a little more of this, um, and I think it probably would have made a difference for some of the people who maybe don't like this as much. Uh, but it, and it would have made me like the movie even more, and maybe would have put it into that territory where. I, it could at least be in the conversation of is it a top ten movie? It's not even in the conversation for me, uh, yeah. you know, in terms of if, if it could be that high up on my Marvel list. But again, the success or failure of a, a Marvel movie isn't based going to be isn't really based on where it's going to rank relative to the other Marvel movies because you you heard the road to Infinity War, folks. Like you know, I love all these movies. So like, yeah, yeah, you exactly. Know, like oh man, you know, I don't just because I like you know just because like. 13 other movies that I love, like, in, <laughs> that I love completely. Like, I don't love this one quite as much as those 13. Like, so what? Mm. I still love this <laughs> one. Like, I still had a blast with Ant-Man and the Wasp, and I think it does most things right. So, you know, the negative things that I point out is just more of, like, these are just the kind of things that just kind of, that nag at me the more I think about it, because that's, those are the kinds of things where it's like, oh, like, this would have just been a few simple things, and this movie just goes from... You know, it, it would just elevate this movie so much more. But I still think it's really good, and I still love the overall design of the movie. The wasp action is really cool. Yeah, like, it's great. You mm-hmm. know, the wasp action, I was like, that's everything I would have wanted to see from the wasp in action in one of these movies. Um, the 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 things that I think the biggest issues for me is some of the Lawrence Fishburne stuff, as I mentioned before, uh, Hank, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, not enough Michelle Pfeiffer. And I understand that's, you know, like their whole mission is to find her. So that's going to be like the happy ending of the movie. But I wish there was just more. I, I really do. And, and I, I don't know how I don't know where you put it in the movie. I, I don't uh, in without completely restructuring the entire thing. So I, I understand why there's not more of it. It just kind of stinks. Um, and then especially when you factor in the mid credit scene, because I'm like, oh, maybe we'll get a lot of her in Avengers 4. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so <laughs> just like, oh, uh, damn it. Um, and I still hope, but I, I still I still do hope that we get more of her. Also, no pun intended for the use of the word hope when we're not actually referring to Hope Van Dyne. Let me put that yeah. other word in there. Um, but uh, yeah, but I got to say, though, Evangeline Lilly, though, her performance is great in this, and really? and Paul and Paul Rudd is great as I always expected him to be. Um, one thing we haven't mentioned yet: I love the Scott and Cassie stuff in this. Like I yeah. love them playing mm-hmm. in like the little like you know Antoine thing with the contact lens. That's dope. <laughs> like, <laughs> did you bring the contact lens? <laughs> uh, like with the slide and everything, uh, and also Cassie wanting to be Scott's partner. Yes. So perfect that just sets up. You know whether it's going to be stature or what was he sting or stinger or something like yeah, that in the uh, whole stature. In, I like stature next, better. Yeah, stature seems more likely. Well, sting that, that's just too much like the wasp. You know. In the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't yeah. do that. So like stature just seems like more fun and and so they clearly they're setting up Cassie to be a hero at one point in the MCU and so I think that's going to be a lot of fun. So I, I enjoyed all of that. Uh, I also enjoyed like just how in love with Scott, Bobby Cannavale's character is now. <laughs> like, 
get in the inside of this. Uh, I also loved the uh, the online close up Magic University bits and how both uh, it, how both Randall Park and Bobby Cannavale are both just like fascinated by it. Like, how'd you do that? Uh, but yeah. I, I got to say, like with Randall Park though, he's so damn funny in this movie. Like he is so good in this movie. That bit of him explaining the Sokovia Accords to Cassie is absolutely hilarious. I think that's my second favorite part in the movie mm. besides the Luis thing. Just mm. because, like, he's... I love that he genuinely thinks he's explaining this the right way to a child. <laughs> like, he genuinely thinks he clarified that for her and made her completely understand it. Uh, and then just... Oh, and then the bit at the end, like, did did you did you want to grab dinner? Or like, just, oh, man... <laughs> That character is so funny, and he's a secret weapon in the movie. And, and as I said, I'll, I'm always going to whine and complain that they didn't do more with Randall Park in the marketing, especially the Sokovia Accord speech, because it not only is hilarious, but it also provides uh, context that I think would have helped sell this movie even more. I think that part is really great because it also shows you that fact that it's a big deal. Like it's, huh? you know, they're, they are, they are hunting down people with powers and they want to make sure they're, they're signing up for these accords. It's a and huge deal. Yeah. It's a, it's a gigantic deal. And, and the fact that, you know, Scott Lang is, 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 is paying for what he did in civil war is, is really cool. Again, it really, they do a great job of taking that and running with it and saying, okay, we're, we're, you know, we are that continuing continuity where everything is connected. So, we're literally coming right out of civil war and, and every all the things that he did in civil war are now paying the price in this movie. And I will say that I think they did a great job of following all that up. I just didn't always love the execution. Um, like I, I think Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly were fine, but I just didn't like them as much as I did in the first movie. I love, and I also love Scott Lang and obviously in civil war and I'm looking forward to seeing him in Avengers four, and seeing how different he is, you know, I'm curious if it's a script I didn't like or, you know, or whatever, you know, again, maybe I'll watch it again and really I'll connect to it. And I'm, I, I definitely, it, it, honestly, this reminds me a lot of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 where I didn't love it at first and I, and I watched it again. And I liked it a little bit more. I just, it just, you know, it just didn't resonate with me like it did with other people and this film might be the same way where I watch it. There's moments that I like about it. It just, it just not, it's not one of the movies that I want to go and rewatch like Dr. Strange or, or it's in the lines of Dr. Strange or dark world, right? I just don't really, it's probably going to be one of the lower priority ones that I want to do uh, or want to see. So, but the performances, and I want to make it very clear. I don't think this movie is bad by any means of the imagination. It's not a bad film. It's just not a great film. It's solid. It's just, it's it exists. It, it's it's fine. It, it exists in the Marvel continuity. It pushes things forward. I enjoy all that, mm-hmm. but it just didn't do it for me on the on the all. I have to see it as many times as possible. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I mean, this is probably not going to be at the very top of my Marvel rewatch list. Although, I will say though, I actually can envision myself watching rewatching this movie a lot because I actually think it's going to be a very easy rewatch. Uh, you know, the length of the film being a huge part of that, <laughs> but also. Um, you know, just that it is, it's very quick, it's light and funny and, and fast paced. Like it just goes by quickly. This isn't going to be a super easy movie to have on, you know, either because I'm watching it intently or I'm just, I just have it on in the background, you know, as I'm just doing stuff. So I think I'll probably rewatch the movie quite a bit. As I said, I mean, I've, I've sat through it three times and enjoyed it immensely all three times. So I know it's, I know it's rewatchable for me. Um, it just doesn't, uh, yeah. And my, you know, my criticisms are really just more of these are just the hairs I split as I decide between Marvel movies because they all end up being at least pretty good. Uh, and so it's, you know, having to figure out, OK, well, what are the flaws that that maybe separate them a little bit, but not just the negatives. It's like how positive are the positives? And I think there's a lot of cool, fun, energetic stuff in this movie. It's very kinetic. I enjoy it a lot. But, uh, you know, but yeah, it, it doesn't quite it doesn't land for me on, on as high of a level as some of the other Marvel films, but that's okay. It's the more Marvel movies that we get, the more we're going to end up with films like this, which is, you know, movies that are good and fun, but not necessarily, they, they can't all be infinity war. Like they can't all be black Panther. They're not all going to be instant classic all time, great movies. And if we have that kind of expectation on them, then 
we're going to wind up being dis- we're going to wind up being disappointed more often than not. But I think when it comes to Ant Man and the Wasp, I mean, it, I enjoyed it. I know general audiences. I don't know what they think of it, other than I mean, this is it got an A minus cinema score, but the eleven Marvel movies before that got like solid A's or an A plus in the case of Black Panther. They haven't had an A minus since Thor: The Dark World, so that kind of tells you maybe where the general audience thinks of this movie, where. It's it's solid and it's fun, but it's not really anything more than that to them. And that's okay. You know, like I don't if that's I think that's kind of what Marvel was aiming for with this movie was to just give people a you know, a really fun, happy, amusing time at the movies and something that you could take the whole family to and everything and not worry about it because hey, this time Spider Man doesn't die. Uh but then like the wasp and her mom and her dad die. <laughs> like, you know. Uh I think it's really, uh, I, I enjoy, I, like I said, had a lot of fun with the movie. I think uh, I, I loved Paul Rudd just as much this time as I did the first time around. And I also loved uh, Evangeline Lilly just as much this time as I did the first time around. Just even, maybe even more so though, because I actually got to see her be the superhero that she deserved to be in the first one. So there's a lot that I really enjoy about this movie. And I'll go back to just reiterate that point once more. I love what Marvel did with the antagonist in this story. I, like I, I love that that character of Ghost so much, and I just love that what uh, you know the way that Marvel just put the, the way this script puts her in that position of she's just trying to survive. She really is, and that's not something you know. And she has every right to try and survive. And the one thing she does that she, you know, that she shouldn't do or one she thinks she really thinks about doing that she absolutely shouldn't do, uh, you know, she gets checked on that and she ultimately, like, agrees with it. Okay, fine, I'm not going to do that. There are other ways to go about, you know, finding this cure for herself. So, you know, I think what they did with Ghost is they set up one hell of a character that could pop up again anywhere else in the mm-hmm. Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think so that that's a great contribution of this movie to the overall MCU. And then everything that you look at from that perspective of uh, of Ant Man and the Wasp, they can again. I don't know what the future holds. Do they get their another movie to themselves? Maybe, but even if not, obviously these characters are set up to go uh, for a pretty uh, for a pretty long run. And I also did like, by the way, uh, you know, I haven't mentioned this before. I liked that Hope and Hank were mad at Scott for him mm-hmm. going off in Civil War, and I I just love that what happens in these movies has consequences and Scott's decision in civil war. Like I love that that is such a huge deal in this movie, you know, not only Scott being under house arrest and creating so much tension within this narrative uh, for him, but also the way that made problems for Hank and hope. And that of course caused problems emotionally between Scott and Hank and hope. So all of that I thought was, you know, I, I thought it was great that they used civil war to create tension between those characters because Without Civil War, you're just having to make up some excuse for those characters to not be friends again at the start of this movie compared to where they were at the end of the last one. So I love that the things that happen in the MCU, like they have that they matter. They are of consequence to things that will come after the fact in other movies. And so Ant-Man and the Wasp, I think, is a great does a fantastic job of, of picking up on that. So it's a great piece of MCU canon, I think, in in that way. Uh, but at the same time, on its on its own self-contained terms, this is just a really fun romp of a of a one bad day kind of movie. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, I really enjoyed it on that level. And I I also like that this movie again has some issues, but it mostly works as this smaller self-contained story. Cause I, I expect that we're going to get a lot more of this, not, not with like the one bad day narrative structure, but just the idea of stakes that are big, even though they may not seem they're they may not seem immediately as big as like, you know, the end of the universe or half of everybody dying, but like that you can still have high emotional stakes in these kinds of circumstances. Cause you're going to need to do that. Cause you can't put the universe in the balance Every single time out, especially after Infinity War, the universe will have, or or Avengers Four, I should say, once the Avengers uh, save the universe from that threat of Thanos, like nothing else, you can't go as big as that for a long time. So you're going to have to find new ways of establishing stakes, and I think Ant Man and the Wasp does a pretty good job of that. I agree with you, and I, like I said, I don't think this is a bad film by any means. I just I just think it's not one of the better Marvel films. And I think it's something that, you know, 
I could put this movie on for my parents and my in-laws and they would enjoy it. They could they could enjoy it on it on its very on the surface of what it is, a fun, you know, com- comedic action film that the whole family can watch. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no super deep meanings or, you know, even like Guardians of the Galaxy and Gar- Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, there's great themes in there that are, are pretty deep and pretty awesome. But it doesn't always resonate for everyone, and it's not something I'd always recommend to everyone necessarily either. I mean, all the Marvel films are family-friendly, but I really feel like like Ant-Man films are definitely uh, aimed at a more – mainstream even more mainstream audience they're they're straight up family films yeah yeah the marvel movies are family friendly but the ant-man franchise is flat out a family film franchise like i wouldn't yes yeah the other marvel movies i wouldn't necessarily call them family films like family friendly yes family films not so much and i know that's just weird and semantics and whatever but you know to me there is a difference between those things and and ant-man slash ant-man and the wasp definitely fall into that just pure family film kind of category yeah, so I, I think this movie is is great on that on that level. But as a Marvel hardcore Marvel fan, I like I said, I it just does not quite make make the mark for me. I do hope we get the uh, the ghost slash Ava in another movie soon. I think she's a great character, and I and I really hope they use her. I'm assuming she's got a multi film contract. I'm not sure where you can put her. Again, I think there's some there's a possibility Several of a several places. Right, Masters of Evil, perhaps, or a Thunderbolts, or something like yeah, that. I mean, I would say Thunderbolts at the most because I don't think she's an. I don't really think she's an antagonist going forward. I really right. don't. Like, I think they've set up her. They've set up her redemption now. You know that she's been healed. She's not in pain. Like she has. You know, and she even kind of said towards the end, like her last little scene there with Bill Foster, which I did like. You know, her talking about how she's done horrible things and all and everything, and he says he's not leaving her. So I certainly and. Also, I mean, in the mid credit scene, Scott says our new ghost friend. So clearly, like, they're, you know, she's on the side of the heroes as far as this goes. And so I think at the most, yeah, Thunderbolts where she's associated with other villains, but she's doing heroic stuff because ultimately she is a hero. Um, But even if it's not that, there's a place for her in a Black Widow movie. There's a place for her. In a third Ant-Man movie, there's a place for her in the all-female team-up Marvel movie, if that ever happens. Like, there are tons of places where Ghost could pop up. Uh, and I think more than likely, I think she's going to be a, 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 a protagonist going forward, not antagonist. I think she's, I think she's done that and, now that's, and now we're moving on from that. In fact, I mean, hell, that would be a really interesting thing in a Black Widow movie is kind of telling that of... Natasha kind of guiding somebody else out of that thing that that she went through, right? Of how do you reconcile, you know, this new life that you're trying to create for yourself of doing good when you've done so much bad in your past, you know? So I'm not saying like this means Ghost has to be in the Black Widow movie. I'm just saying like that. That's a very logical story point that you could use if you wanted to have Ghost be in the Black Widow movie. Like, and that would actually... That would actually serve Natasha's narrative as well because we haven't really seen her as mu- that much of a mentor. She was kind, you know, they kind of showed her having a little bit more of a, of a mentor role with with uh, Scarlet Witch and like a little bit of that in Civil War and even a bit, just a bit more with uh, Infinity War. But like, I, I think you can do, you could expand on that even more so between Natasha and Ava, just because Natasha has like she's really been in Ava's shoes. I mean, she mm-hmm. totally has, and so. Those two characters, I think, would be a very interesting pairing, whether that happened in the Black Widow solo movie or, again, if there is that all-female Marvel team-up movie, that would be a great place to have Black Widow and Ghost together. Yeah, I I think that would be a great – that would be an awesome team-up. Again, I would love – I would love to show up in a Thunderbolts. I think Marvel needs to do – I hate to say Thunderbolts because they're similar to the Suicide Squad, but they need to have their version of villains kind of working – you know, for the shield, because you already have shield made, you know, Nick Fury could show up, give him, you know, give him an assignment or whatever. And, hey, and like Sonny awesome. Birch said, shield and Hydra don't even exist anymore. Sorry, That's agents of shield. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> sorry. Snap. It's, snap. it's not all connected anymore. Oh, hmm. hey, that line, like that. I'm sorry that that line didn't need to be in the movie. As far as I'm concerned, that line exists to retcon agents of shield out of mcu canon uh, it does man at the very least it 
it drops the last two seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. from MCU canon, because I believe it was in season four where S.H.I.E.L.D. went public again. I know after the first season, like, they went underground, so it's like, okay, people... But, like, Sonny Birch would know. He knows underground things, so, like, in Hydra... And people knew when Hydra was still around, like, underground, so, like, they would have known if S.H.I.E.L.D. was still around. As, as far as the movies are concerned, S.H.I.E.L.D. hasn't existed since Captain America Winter Soldier, and I think that line pretty much Wait a sets minute. that up. Isn't S.H.I.E.L.D. in Age of Ultron? No. The, Wait. They're not set... They're not really... I mean... This all they ever say is this is what shields is. Quicksilver says is this shield, and I think Cap says this is what shields supposed to be. But they're not really shield. Like mm. I don't think they're wearing shield logos or anything like that. I'd have to go back and look at it. But and they never did anything after that. Like there is no shield after that. Like because they're just they're playing they're playing on a DL man. They're trying to be no, you know man no because like uh, but here's the it's thing it's like in the shield show. But even. <laughs> Yeah, okay, but even if you go by that, they're back in the public view as of as of season four of Agents of Shield. So, mm. like, you know, like it, it certainly That's shows. True. Okay, right? Yeah. So, at the most, at the most, you could say the first two seasons of Agents of Shield are canon. Maybe I guess you could technically say three because they didn't go public again until four. But to me, that stood out. That that just stood out to me as like, nah. As far as Marvel Studios cares, like none of this stuff is in the MCU. So, like. Oh. I'm telling you, man. Like it's it's a whole other podcast entirely. But like it's it <laughs> like it's like ew, when we see Daredevil in the MC, when we see Daredevil in the movies, not gonna be Charlie Cox, son. Like just you know, just prepare yourselves, kids. Anyway, uh, let's talk about the mid credit scene before we get out of here, and the post credit scene, which is kind of in the same vein, just with an ant playing the drums. Um, I. Uh, I knew hope was going to be a goner. You know, I, I had no doubt about that. And I thought maybe there's a good chance Hank would go. I'm, I'm a little surprised that Janet went too. Um, really? Yeah. I mean, just cause it, I mean, man, the heroes have the worst odds because it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's 50, 50, but they've got way more than 50, 50. They get dusted. <laughs> like, you know, there, there are way more heroes on the side of that. Just got the, un, we're on the unlucky side of the overall, you know, 50, 50. Um, I don't know. I guess I just thought that maybe Janet would, I thought maybe Janet would get a small role in Avenger four, which she could still have, but I would kind of see her as maybe being somebody that would be instrumental in that. But Clearly, this thing sets up, you know, Scott's trapped in the quantum realm. He's going to get himself out of it, and him getting out of it is going to be, like, figuring out how to travel through it. And I think, you know, this is where, this is how you can travel through time without a time stone, if that's something the Avengers want to do in uh, or need to do in Avengers 4, especially because one of the last thing I think it might be the last thing Janet says to him before he goes is like don't get caught in a time vortex if you do we won't be able to get you out so maybe he does get himself caught in a time vortex and it spits him out and he sees what's happened um but yeah i mean hope being dusted and hank like i figured and even janet still makes sense because you know and evangeline lily didn't film much for avengers 4 so i was like oh yeah she's getting dusted in the you know in one of the post-credit scenes for ant-man and the wasp so that was really no surprise but the way they did it was still compelling, though. Is I, I, again, I'm not shocked by those three characters getting dusted, uh, but they still made it a compelling scene by stranding Scott in the quantum realm in the middle of it. I thought he was going to watch Hope fade away, but this is mm. even this is even more interesting to me because now he has no he's just stuck in the quantum realm and has no clue what happened. Uh, like that that's just going to make it that much more interesting when we find out you know where and when Scott emerges in Avengers Four. Yeah, that that's I did like the mid credit scenes uh, scene a lot, and I'm very, I'm very intrigued how Scott's gonna get out of this, and I hope they kind of explain, and not off screen where he just goes, oh, I got out, and that was it. I mean, I, I would like to actually see what's going on with that. So, yeah, I I was a little surprised. I thought I thought for I thought maybe Hank might survive or something like that, but. I knew hope was going to, was going to go because we don't see her in Avengers four. Mm-hmm. So that, that was pretty much telegraphed in my opinion. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I was always a little disappointed with, uh, I thought Hank might survive. It would have been cool for Hank to kind of help the Avengers. Maybe talk to Tony. That would have been kind of cool. I agree with that. And I, I still hope we get it. 
You know, True. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't know when these characters who are dusted come back into the equation. You know, and, and so yeah. because of that, like that just creates all kinds of different opportunities for when, you know, for conversations and interactions that we've kind of been hoping to see in mm-hmm. the MCU. So I, I, you know, you can't rule those things out. And I also think that Janet still has an opportunity to be very important in Avengers 4 because of those quantum, those magical quantum healing powers that she's got, you know, like that could, you know, that could be a big deal. You know, or her understanding of the quantum realm could end up solving a problem for them later uh, at some point. Because obviously her understanding of it is going to be greater than Scott's. But, uh, you know, when you just look at some of the other, I don't want to go too deep into speculation and theories that are out there. Because I don't want to spoil anybody uh, for, I mean, it's all speculation. So none of it truly counts as spoilers anyway. But certainly, you know, for a lot of the theories that have been going around for Avengers 4, this mid credit scene kind of plays into it. But I also want to talk, uh, you know, the post credit scene. What I care about is not so much the ant playing the drums because that was already in like one of the trailers, the TV spots or whatever, but just like that emergency signal on the TV and just and then like you just see the the streets are just completely empty. And I love shots like this. That's why I loved the the post credit scene in Infinity War is not just the Captain Marvel bit, which is great, but just seeing the helicopter crash and seeing all like seeing just the collateral damage, like the overall state of the world after the snap, because it's easy to focus on the heroes that faded away. And obviously we're going to focus on that way more because those are the characters that we care about and we've lost them at least for the time being. But I love seeing the bigger picture of, you know, just the overall kind of collateral damage and just how massive it is what Thanos has done. And I, I kind of hope we get another thing like that in Captain Marvel because we don't really get much of it on like other planets. You know what I mean? Like it's all pretty. I mean, we when the snap happens, we see people fading on Earth and Titan. But I kind of want a moment where we're seeing like, I don't know if maybe if Carol sees it like later on in the movie or something like that to see what's happening with the snap. Like I just I, I love seeing the I just love seeing the far reaching impacts of what Thanos did in Infinity War. So I loved that. Uh, I loved the empty the empty streets and empty apartment that we got at the end there. Yeah, same. Also has me wondering, what about Luis? <laughs> oh, no! I know. I'm like, well, look, if all three of the Pym slash Van Dynes got dusted, then all three of the Entourage survived, damn it, because that's the rule of 50-50. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, but anyway... So let's go ahead and wrap up with some some overall thoughts here. Although I think we kind of already already did it. Yeah, but, uh, for me with, did it. yeah, for me with Ant Man the Wasp. No, it's not one of my all time best of the MCU. It just doesn't need to be. I don't need each and every time out to have you know to to come away thinking that's one of the best Marvel movies I've ever seen. I just need to come out thinking it's a really good movie, and that's what I felt with Ant Man and the Wasp. And so I love the movie. Hopefully, you all loved it as well. And if you didn't, that's okay. I know we have a longer wait now than we've had for a long time. <laughs> like mm-hmm. now, we have to wait all the way until next March to do a brand new spoiler review for a Marvel film. But don't worry, we'll come up with plenty of things to talk oh, about. We got in between plenty to talk yeah, about. Yeah, we have so much to cover. It's kind of ridiculous, but that is where we will wrap up this edition of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. Uh, For more, you can get exclusive content on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. You can also find us socially on Facebook and Instagram at Marvel Studios News and on Twitter at Marvel Newscast or on our website, marvelstudiosnews.com. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. 